Uh, what's up, everybody? It's another edition of The Side Hustle with a Jimmy and two Jules. We uh, or two Anges, I should say, an Ange and a Jules for all intents and purposes. We took a little bit of a time out. We took a little bit of a hiatus because, well, I had to go get a COVID job because this just sucks. But here we are. We're back. We're back here telling stories. And today we have one of uh, my favorite people. And I know the girls on here will agree. Timmy Carlson, how are you doing? Good, sir. Oh, hello, Jimmy and Jules and Ange. I'm doing really well. So uh, this little project, I'm sure you've listened to one or two of these. And I'm sure you've heard the stories. Basically, we're getting people together from uh, different parts of the event world, not necessarily action sports, but people from all walks of the uh, event world. And we're basically just getting on here and uh, passing time during this wacky, crazy year. And we're just kind of telling stories and uh, getting everybody's perspective on what it's like putting together all these different events that we get to do all across the globe. Because as we all know, we've all got stories. A lot of us have been together for most of these, but it's always kind of cool to hear it from uh, different people's perspectives. So before we dive into the heart of all this, why don't you start off by telling us uh, a little bit about yourself and how you got into the event world? Ah, uh, the event world. So um, before all the event world, I was a snowboarder, you know, dirtbag, professional snowboarder, waiter. And um, I was waiting tables and my buddy Ron Panky called me up one day and asked if I had time to go do a flutog in Miami. And that was the, the, the first phone call I've really ever heard of, you know, the events. And I'd seen Ron driving a truck around, you know, showing up at my house with big Paul Mitchell, 18 wheeler and, you know, Ronnie stuff. Um, and yeah, so he got me on and we did a flutog down in Miami with Hangman Productions it was my first job. That was the start of it all. So what was the actual first event that you worked on, like your first big one that kind of cut your teeth for all this? Yeah, like I said, the first, the first event was Red Bull Flutog in Miami. And uh, that was a, a warm welcoming down there. I flew down there. And um, I don't know what the crew is, a dozen people, Jason Shields, um, Marcos, and Brandon. And um, I especially remember Brett Taylor there. Um, so I'm the, I'm the new guy in this crew. They're like, all right, this, this is Timmy, you know, he's, he's my high school buddy. I show up just super green and we're, we're doing a flu tog. I'm on the flight deck and those guys are monkeying around, putting up the red nets, hanging out on poles, no safety nets, no nothing. I'm just like, what is going on here? This, this is wild. Um, so we're just, you know, the flu tog, it's, it, it's a pretty fun event. It's, it's all about entertainment. And these guys are all seasoned veterans, I would say. And I'm just like, they're like, Tim, go to the ADA with the G2 and just put it up there. That, that's fine. And I remember, don't, don't ask Marky any questions. Just, just say yes, yes, sir, and do your thing. I'm like, all right, a G2 to ADA. Hey, Brett, what's, what's ADA? He's like, what are you, stupid? I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Just classic Brett. I'm like, uh, uh, no, but what's ADA? He's like, dude, it's American Disability Act. Everybody knows that. I'm like, yeah, okay, well, what's a G2? And he just, he rode me so hard that day. And, yeah, I was just like this sweaty mess. Like, oh, my God, I'm over my head. But two days into it, a few cocktails at night, and people are just like, dude, get over it. Brett's Brett's Brett. And as you all know, he's a pretty awesome guy, but he, he's pretty blunt as well. 
I think that actually needs to be on a t-shirt when we go work events and say, Brett's Brett. Brett's Brett's. I thought he has, I hate people already. Is that a new t-shirt we need? Well, we do need a, we do need a, what would Brett do? I feel like that's, that's kind of a, a, an event standard. That question pops up where it's like, when you're standing around deciding what to do, it's what would Brett do? Yeah, he would gather us all up and just tell us what to do. <laughs> like a champion. So basically, after that first food tug, you didn't pack it up and run to the hills despite the long days. And if you're in Miami, I'm guessing there was a probably good uh, good amount of gold bond being applied to the undercarriage during that tenure. But it didn't. It wasn't wasn't enough to run you off into the hills. Because I mean, let's face it. And anybody from Red Bull listening, no offense, we love you. But man, Red Bull events can be a grind because you do things over and over and over again. No, no, it was cool. We we stayed at the Intercontinental. There was a happy hour from three to five that we took took great advantage of. And uh, no, it was it was a really good time. It was, you know, just just a wild little vacation that I worked for. And that transitioned into um, the next event was uh, Crash Dice was the gig, you know. They said, all right, you, you did pretty good, Tim. We need a bunch of people for this crash ice event in St. Paul. And that was the first year that that was happening. And uh, I was waiting tables at the time, so it was easy to get time off and went right into the crash ice event, which was, I think, 35, maybe 40 days. And that's that's really where I, I learned tons and tons of stuff, is putting on the, the first crash ice where really nobody knew even what the event was, let alone how we were going to make ice stick onto a 200-foot scoff drop-in onto the cathedral steps and then melt it down and get rid of it in these, this month, month-long schedule. Little did you know the process that you were going to be in for. Not to mention you went from one extreme to the other, starting this thing off in Miami, and then you ended up at crashed ice. Talk about some of the craziness i mean just for people that don't understand that might be listening to this like some of the things that you have to go through for a flug tog summertime i guess basically summertime through wintertime events i mean i've I've done some stuff operational wise on mountain events but i mean it's it's a completely different animal summertime's one thing you're out there in shorts and yeah you're hot to a certain extent but when you're on a mountain and you're freezing cold and you're working against the elements and you're having to dig out ice trenches to lay cable and put anchors down for scaff and God knows what else. I mean, that, that is one right there that will definitely separate the wheat from the chaff when it comes to whether or not you're cut out for event work. Yeah, you hit it on the head. It was, it was a wild time. I remember it being 20 below on some days and 45 degrees on other days and just rolling with the punches of, you know, everything's frozen to everything is melting. And just the scale of that whole project was was really crazy it was it was tough to gather really what we were doing until about three weeks into it and it started coming together and like oh it's a skate track with ice and there it is it came together super well you know the, the production crew it was giant there was probably 100 people working on the thing and i remember the first year they had um, 100 people 100 amateurs on the first day and that was the most hilarious thing i've ever seen this whole thing got we iced it up it's all finished it's ready and 100 
Midwest hockey players start getting on the ice. And it was like Bambi. These guys were terrible. I could have skated better than them. They'd never, I don't think they'd ever been on fruit boots or rollerblades, whatever you want to call them. Um, and these guys were just terrible. It was, it was a disaster. I think maybe half of those guys seriously got hurt. Probably three or four people ended up in an ambulance. And the, re- the next day, 50 of them showed up. They're just limping like, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. And then the Euro- European dudes who could skate blew us away. You know, they could skate up and down. They were pretty good. They were pretty cool to watch. But the people who, who trained on flat ground, no chance at all. And learning curve, not only to build it, but those guys were, they were schooled on what sport it was. Pretty, pretty awesome to watch. You know, I think I have to say, honestly, for Red Bull events in general, I think that Crash Dice really is the one that when you talk about signature events for Red Bull, I think that's really one of the marquee events. I mean, that really sets the stage for an actual Red Bull signature event. Um, You know, unique, however, based on something that's familiar, the ice skating. Um, But the way the course is just that elevated track system, basically. And then, you know, you throw in the lighting and the signage and, and just all of it. And it's just like, whoa. Um, It almost, that event to me is one of those that it's so well done that you kind of forget it's, it's just a man-made temporary structure. It almost looks like, oh no, it's always there. You know, we just dress it up with lights and then throw this show on every year. It doesn't look temporary. And that's to me, like, just one of the, like, key successful elements of that event that I've seen throughout the years. I mean, it's it's gotten better as years go on with it, just like, you know, a little bit more. There's a little bit more lighting, a little bit more signage, a little bit more detail work. Um, it's impressive. Yeah, yeah, the learning curve was, was pretty rapid on that thing from year to year. Just we learned how to put the whole systems together, and it just – when you when you have a vision in your head, it's just so much easier to build and build it well and prepare for the branding and all the little details that make it super smooth. From year one to year nine, I think, that we did in Fenway Park. It I mean it's the same project, but so much better, so much easier and smooth and just where you can enjoy your company and enjoy the whole build rather than just wonder what the heck you're doing so kind of on that same kick what uh give me some of the standouts some of the top ones that you've worked on doesn't necessarily have to be red bull but overall in the span of your career what would you say were some of your favorites or most memorable man so my career and or you know event history here was definitely almost all red bull for the first three or four years you know, I, I got to thank Andrew Markey with Hangman. He, he he trained me and and let me do my thing and let me be me. And that was the time when we were doing eight Flutogs a summer, and we were doing three soapbox derbies and doing two cliff diving events. And my whole schedule, all of a sudden, I didn't wait tables anymore. I was I was a Hangman character. I I just was I took it on and embraced it and just started traveling all around but uh the first time i did cliff diving was in boston and and another one where 
we're, we're top we're on top of the I think it was the Contemporary Arts Museum, right downtown Boston Harbor. Um, who, who was it? It was uh, the Extreme was the scaff company at the time, and they put these hundred foot pillars in the gra- in the water in the sound, all the way up to the building, cantilevered it out, and it was that one was pretty damn cool to be around, and that was one. I really was impressed with the athletes. The divers were were super impressive to watch, and and the build was really dang fun. It was building a diving platform 100 feet up on top of a art building, and those guys are like, "What is going on up there?" And I'm jumping on the on the diving board, and I'm hearing on the radio, "Jump a little harder, see see if there's any flex." And the manager is like, no, stop. I've got $2 million worth of glass art underneath you. Stop jumping. I'm like, ah, oh, this is pretty cool. I like this. Um, so I, I think the cliff diving is probably my favorite event for athletes. And um, I think the closest event and the, and the wildest run event was honestly uh, the Global Rally Cross the GRCs with, with both you and Jules and Ange. (laughs) (laughs) Our our favorite. (laughs) Our favorite. We had a tight crew. We came in when uh, I think the Andretti's were having some internal problems and their whole production crew was breaking up. And and we showed up with uh, Eric Matijevich and States and Kingdom. And and we came in to, I don't know, clean up the dirty diapers that they had. And it was it was a mess. You know, you both know how messy it was. But it was so damn fun to have a tight crew. It seemed like everybody was pretty seasoned on our side, and just watch this debauchery around us. And and we just kind of put our stuff together, put the fencing and shitters together. And all right, you guys are <laughs> you guys are you guys do not know what's going on. But this event is going to run. The public's going to be safe. And it was super fun for the. I think we did it for a couple of years and I really enjoyed them. There was a long leash that we had there. Um, and yeah, the GRCs, I actually do miss them. Kind of. <laughs> I, I think that was, that... <laughs> yeah, no, I was just going to say that was like what it was like being on a, like close to being on a concert tour. But not like your state county fair concert tour circuit, <laughs> not like a your real legitimate stadium tour. Your state and county fair concert circuit. That's a seriously bold statement. <laughs> what, what's funny is uh, the GRC did come to the Evergreen State Fair here in Monroe. It's probably one of the only times I've worked around my hometown is the GRC came to Monroe. And I was like, oh, my God, they're at the fairgrounds. This thing, this hillbilly event is going down. As we know, it all did go down. Yeah, they came through here one year in South Dallas and at the state fairgrounds here. And I wasn't even in town, but I thought it was funny that they were here and they were at the state fair. <laughs> People were like, oh, yeah, any but- tips? I'm like, yeah, don't get shot. <laughs> I do remember stories. That was one of the ones I missed. It was a... Um conflicting schedule event but i was glad i missed the texas event hearing the story yeah it was the same weekend as x games i want to say that year uh, i i i haven't done x games so i don't know where i was at 
There was there was well, like. But a- didn't they? They got kicked out of it. I mean, technically, the rally car got kicked out of X Games, right? I, I mean, I mean dropped or whatever. I don't know the semantics behind all that. I've I've heard bits and pieces, but I don't know enough to actually speak as to why they're not there anymore. I don't know. I just remember the stories from I, the the brief, the one I worked in Phoenix that one year, uh, where the wind decided to pick up everybody's easy ups and throw them around that one afternoon. Uh, but uh, just oh, yeah. hearing just hearing Jim Wright's stories uh, afterwards about trying to get people to pay their bills and. They had another one coming up somewhere where they had been the year before and they still hadn't paid the guy and it was the only place to go get heavy equipment. And Jim was like, I don't know where I'm going to get some of this equipment because they're the only game in town. Where didn't we have uh, Tim, which is the one where like something flooded and like, it wasn't it you like, and uh, Titchener. Like, no, I think saved the day. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, where, I can't remember that? where that was location it, was. was. Uh, I remember I knee-deep water and looking for the drain. <laughs> like, oh, the drains are right there. And like, well, the drains are not working, boys. And uh, <laughs> yeah, the GRCs were full of disasters. That's what made it the most fun. It just was like, all right, get in the golf cart and just drive around this place. See where our exits and escapes are. And then just watch the debauchery happen. You know, see what's going to go wrong because something is going to go wrong. Do you remember in, in Detroit, my favorite, one of my favorite stories in Detroit is these girls, the overnight Ford girls. They, they've been there watching the, the cars all night long. And uh, it was a closed course. So when, when the cars were racing, you couldn't leave. And they're like, all right, races are 25 minutes. You know, you can't leave. And these, these chicks are just like, we're leaving. We're leaving. We've been here since seven in the morning. <laughs> so, Dave and I are, me and Dave and I are outside. We're just like, you know, watching the races and trying to find our best spot. And we see this, we see this Detroit girl pop her head out, and then she waddles over the safety gate and runs across the track while the cars are racing. We're like, oh my god, Dave, check this out. She runs across. And then another chick pops out behind. She pops out. She runs across. And we're like, oh, no, here come the cars. Here come the cars. And this chick, this third one comes out. And this look, this chick looks out. And says, I got it. I got it. She runs across. She waddles across, should I say. And she wa- she's walking. <laughs> As, like, Tanner Faust is coming around the corner. And these two cars are just mobbing down the straightaway. And this girl hopped over the fence at the last minute. And Dave and I are just losing our shit. We're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. These girls are almost died. Of course, the radios start blowing up. Uh, uh, who, who is that? Uh, what the hell? Put the flags out. I'm hitting the flag guy like, dude, put your flag out. He's like, I can't. I can't. I got to be told on the radio. I'm like, I'm telling you, dude. There's chicks on the race course. And then the flag, the flags come out, and they're like, "Oh, we see them. Let's get them. Let's get them." And they just walk right into Dave and I. And I was like, "Oh, I've been waiting for this for a while. You girls are the stupidest <laughs> chicks I've ever seen." Like, what did you just say? I was like, "You heard me right. You're the dumbest chick I've ever seen. You just ran across a race course." She's like, "We had it. We had it. Easy." And I'm like, "Easy." I was like. Hand her my radio and it's just blowing up. Get those girls. What in the hell? Get them out of here. Fire them now. 
And I was like, you hear what they're talking about? You girls, you hear that? And I just, we brought them to their little bone yard and I just like laid into this girl and she's like, you need to relax. You need to smoke something. And I was like, oh, you, you, you girls are going to get it. And sure, sure enough, their boss like ended up in their bone yard and he's like, oh my God, are you the girls? Tell me you're not the girls. Like, what? We've been here since seven. Yeah, you're fired. I couldn't believe that. That was pretty awesome. Dave and I got like front row seats for the dumbest chicks I've ever seen. Like they, the cars were around the corner like, going 130 miles per hour. That was pretty cool. That was a really fun time. Detroit's always a good time. I got caught with um, Nimitz in a golf cart on the hot course up in Seattle. So there was like an access point. I don't know. I can't really remember, but, and I don't know why we had to be on course, but I was with Nimitz doing something and we like were at the gate and the official says like, no track is cold. It's okay. So there was like a flag guy and an official. So, all right, we just went out, out on the course. And then within literally like 30 seconds, descends all hell on this stupid golf cart that me and Nimitz are in um because literally there was it was a hot track those two I don't know who whoever told us what to like to go on the track it wasn't cold it was hot they were actually like doing practice laps or something so again like it was yeah like Tanner Faust or something coming around the corner and Nimitz is like no problem I'll I'll outrace him (laughs) of course Nimitz thinks he's gonna outrace Tanner Faust in a golf cart so we barely squeaked out of the well we didn't actually exit the course like we kind of just went off into the like the side like the tires and we just kind of like were hunkered down on the side until we actually could cross the course but that I mean yeah like it it was it was such a shit show every single event but that's what made it kind of awesome because it was always a shit show it was consistently just I mean, something was bound to happen to somebody on that event. Oh, yeah. Well, Tommy Deck almost got run off. The, he, had, he had the scissor lift fixing something. And the same thing, they, they fired it up. All oh, the scissor lift will get off the course quick enough. And he was racing the race cars in his scissor lift. <laughs> oh, that's right. That was in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> yeah. Wait, and didn't we steal the scissor lift on that yes. or excuse yes. me borrow it without asking from it. a construction site like yes. we didn't even rent it <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was awesome <laughs> yeah uh another grc uh okay the ambulance uh so it was in detroit again the first the, they started the guy lost his brakes he crashed into the first turn he never hit he hit his brakes didn't have anything blew up so hard like it was a burly crash and the ambulance drivers were like oh my god so they just mob going down the straightaway and boom remember they hit the lights they hit the start lights with their ambulance oh yeah i remember that that's right they didn't didn't they not like they almost knocked them off or something oh yeah they knocked them off. did a bunch of damage they hit them going like 85 five miles per hour. <laughs> and then so I think oh, we, went, we went out there. We went out there and like tried to get the lights off, 
and they were like hanging. I remember there was like coat hangers and fishing line and just the craziest <laughs> hanging lights. I was like, oh my God, who hung these things? I hope we didn't do that. Those the track boys are like, well, the track boys are fired because this thing is janky. <laughs> Everywhere, every course, there was something. It was so much fun. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It I was pretty fun. <laughs> I don't know, Matijevic and Tess, how, how they dealt with the upper management on that stuff, but they, they, they held us together pretty good. Sounds I mean, like it, it was tough because they were just, no, sorry. I was just going to say it was oh, tough for them because they weren't getting paid. You know what I mean? And that was the bottom line. I mean, that's what killed it. It was just, there was no money for that thing. And I'm surprised it lasted as long as it did. I have to say they did a really good job of, of making an event happen for as long as they made it happen with, with pretty much no money to support any yep. of it. So, yeah. Uh, big props to Tess and Eric for taking care of us, the workers, and, you know, hopefully they ended up making it right business-wise. But I remember uh, one of the last races in, we're in San Francisco or L.A. I think we were in L.A., and good old Chip comes up to us. Hey, you guys, we're super far behind. You, you need to get on the track and help us pull lines. And we were all knew we were getting hosed. None of us had got paid yet. And I'm like, you know what, Chip? You're going to pay us, I think I said. And he said, what? What do you say? I said, yeah, your lady, Helen, Helen Waite, has told me, like, she paid me five times. And now you're asking me to go above and beyond? I, I, I don't know, man. I think we're just going to sit here and wait wait and do our thing. And Matijevic came up and said, hey, check your email. Check, check your bank account. And he... He paid us all that day and said, dude, go help out this whole whole gig. And I thought that was big of him. And, and he took care of us rather than taking care of himself. And Chip, Chip can eat a hot dog. That guy is, <laughs> he's, he's Malibu's finest or whatever you want to call him. But he's a real Eat a lady. hot dog. I think that's our first PC insult on the side hustle. Am I, am I allowed to say eat a dick? It's the internet. You can say whatever you want. Nice. And my kid's not here. Yeah, my kid's 13 right now, dude. We had the best wrestling match today. I was giving him purple nurples. I had a Kimura on him. I was choking him out. I was like, oh, man, this is almost the end of it because he's, he's getting bigger than me. So much fun. So uh, have you ever heard of that book? It's about Motley Crue. It's called The Dirt. I'm talking about the book, not the actual movie. I've heard of it. I haven't read it. So basically, it's a bunch of stories about those guys and how they came to be and how they're all miraculously still alive after all the drugs that they've done. But one of the things that's cool about the book, not the movie, is the fact that it's the same stories, but it's told from all different points of view from the four band members, plus their manager and other people that were close to them during that time frame. So we've kind of mimicked that a little bit. So we've told some stories on here. And uh, there's a couple that pertain to events that you were at and that more specifically pertain to you. So now here's your chance to sound off and tell your side of it. So I'm going to go ahead and gaslight this fire. Uh, there was a certain time at Straight Rhythm. I wasn't there for this one, but I heard that you had a little bit of fun one night and got super drunk and you were a little rough around the edges the next morning. This is your time to shine, Timmy. Defend yourself. Tell us your side of the story. Oh, no. 
there's nothing shining about that moment, Jimmy. <laughs> uh straight rhythm straight rhythm yeah yeah i remember for sure straight rhythm uh you know what a fun event i remember working 103 degree good old pomona california and um yeah all the details of you know the, the big screen decorations and all that good stuff i remember it was uh frank fiaschetti's first event as the big wig from red bull and uh we pulled it off, whatever. It was another States and Kingdom event and um, went off without a hitch. Right at the end, I think it was the day, the night of the event probably, old, old Brett Taylor was our was our manager and he pulled out a, a bottle of bullet at the end and said, all right, you know, congratulations, we did it all. And here, here it is, cheers. We're, we're doing our little bullet rounds and glick, 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 glick. Round and round it went. The bottle disappears. We're all pretty primed up. And he says, and the Red Bull party is uh, going to go off tonight. It's at a bowling alley. So we're all going. And I love bowling. Um, my mom was a really good bowler. I, I, bowling is right up my alley. So we're like, all right, cool. So we do the bullet. I remember I have a couple beers. And uh, we, we run back to our hotel and, you know, the classic shower beer. Oh gosh, we're running late. We're running late. Run downstairs. And um, some, I can't remember who the young gun was on that one, but you know, he's like, Tim, yeah, here you got an alter ego, Jimmy. He's coming out tonight. I'm like, oh, Jimmy's not coming out as he hands me a Red Bull vodka. And Red Bull vodka goes down. And uh, yeah, so that was like basically my dinner was half a bottle of bullet, a couple beers, Red Bull vodka. And we did we get on the double decker bus? I do not know what starts to happen after this, basically. <laughs> and uh yeah, so I'm half in the bag before I'm leaving the hotel. And it was a night at the double decker bus. Somehow I convinced the bus driver to stop at a liquor store because we're not wasted enough. And yep, we stopped at the liquor store. It was about the end of my memory really I, re I remember pouring shots from the upper deck and somehow pouring the shots to myself I, I don't know how that works but pouring shots up up and down crazy bus ride and yeah so you get the point i um full intoxicated wasted what we call jimmy jimmy's in full effect i have no clue what's going on i'm wrestling frank fiaschetti and I think he ended up punching me in the nose saying, dude, enough of you, enough of you. It's not funny anymore. And I'm just bloody face going, yeah, Frankie, nice one. You punched me. Awesome. Dude, it was debauchery. It was so ugly. Those guys went to a strip club. The strip club was like, yeah, Jimmy's not coming in. Your buddy Jimmy, he, he's going back on the bus. So whatever, I get back on the bus somehow. And oh, it's so horrible thinking of this night. But Anyway, somehow I puke. I puke all over the bus. And then everybody gets back on the bus. They're like, dude, what the hell happened? I don't know. I'll clean it up. And I clean it up as a human sponge. And it was just the messiest night that I can't remember. Somehow I wake up in, in the hotel in somebody else's clothes, like stinking like booze and puke. It was horrible. It was, it was just the worst. But I made it to work. 
seven o'clock, got in the minivan, got in the back of the minivan. Everybody threw their backpacks on me. We went to, uh, what did we go to IHOP or something or Pancake House, Waffle House, I think. And I'm like, nope, I can't eat anything. And that was the beginning of the transformation of just the worst hangover I've ever had. Those guys, everybody ate. Jules and Ange, I think you guys were there just watching me through the window like, he doesn't look so good. And yeah, I, I didn't feel so good either. They bring me to work, get to the Pomona Fairgrounds. And I just stayed in the van till it got to 100 degrees. And I'm sweating profusely. And then I have to open the door to puke a little bit. So I puke and I crawl into the office. And I cover myself in scrim. And I'm like, nope, I I can't barely breathe, let alone work. And I remember about lunchtime, people can, all right, all right, dumbass. Time to get up. Time to get up. Come on, suck it up, buttercup. Nope, no, you guys brought me lunch. I had a fry. I puked that up. I covered myself in scram. I went to the meeting at five o'clock. And I know what, you want me to puke at your meeting? Sure enough, I went to the meeting for a couple minutes and puked. Oh, the worst. And yeah, that night I went home, just slept, and about three in the morning I cold sweated, woke up like, oh my God, what the hell happened? I barely remember anything. Next day, worst hangover compared to yesterday, and nobody is very happy with me at all. <laughs> I blew off work that day and uh, didn't get fired somehow. Yeah. I should have got fired, but I didn't get fired. Brett says, all right, you dumbass. Here's your, here's your punishment. You're, you're picking up the entire fairgrounds. You're, you're picking up all the trash. And I thought that was fair enough. I cruised around with a golf cart and 20 garbage bags or whatever and picked up so much trash. It was the nastiest gig. I just sweated it out, whatever, made it through, tried to do my apologies to everybody, and then they just gave me the whatever, whatever, Tim. <laughs> you blew it. You put on so much work on us. It was, wasn't cool. And I get to the end, what I think is the end, and I'm like, all right, that's it. There's there's no more zip ties. There's no more trash. And I hear, oh, you think that was it? You go around the corner, they say there's more trash over there. I'm like, damn, there is more trash over there. I pick up the trash. I'm like, man, there's piles of zip ties. I must have been seeing double over here. All right, that's the end. No, no there's another pile of trash over there, Tim. I'm like, what the hell? Man, I suck. I don't know. It happened a few times. And then I'm just like, I'm done. I'm done. I, I'm done with trash. So finally, it all gets cleaned up. You know, the debauchery, I turn into this human that actually looks like a person again. And I get through it. I profusely apologize to Tess and Matijevic and everybody, and Frank Fiaschetti. I don't know how he didn't ever not let me onto another Red Bull event, but everybody is all right. You blew it. And I'm listening to your podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I hear Miss Ange really didn't think the punishment fit the crime. So she, did you really throw all those zip ties around the corner? Like, on, <laughs> on, on? um yes I did I I just was like because all I remember from like that time is I mean I do remember you were worthless on the first day of your hangover um 
And then the second day, I just remember Brett saying, like, uh, we're just going to have Tim do trash. And I'm like, that's it? Like, that's his only job for today is to do trash? Like, what about all this barricade? I was like, this isn't right. This is kind of like, this sucks. And I was like, well, fuck this. I'm going to add on to the trash pile. So anytime I picked up trash into my golf cart, I wasn't like sealing the bags or anything. So anytime I take off in the golf cart, I would just spill a shit ton of trash everywhere. Cause I was like, well, fuck it. <laughs> like, I just was like, I wanted it to be even. So yes, I do admit to adding to the garbage that you had to go and pick up. So wow. that was 100% me. <laughs> Sorry, Timmy. So bad. You don't even need to apologize. I, I, I got away with one, you know, luckily I'm a bowler and I get 13 strikes because that was, it was horrible. I've had a few episodes and plenty of, plenty of screw ups on the road, you know, we, we all love to do it, but. That, that was one of the biggest and worst debaucheries. And I think that was the last time my alter ego came out, actually. I learned a lot that, that weekend. Of have fun, but don't be a complete I remember we went to breakfast the, the first day, and you were in the back of the, the minivan, and we left you there. And then we came back to the car after we were done, and everybody was like, where's Timmy? And I'm like, I don't know. He's in the back of the car, but you weren't in the back of the car. And we looked around, like, you were asleep in the bushes in the parking lot, like, in one of the parking spaces underneath, like, some bush. So we don't even know how you, like, got out of the trunk and, like, moved over to sleeping in the bushes while we were eating breakfast. So <laughs> I knew you were pretty, pretty gone because you didn't even know how you got there. Yeah, pretty, pretty lame, but part of the fun i suppose <laughs> yeah, yeah it was a good one <laughs> yeah you never go to the after party never go to the red bull after party that's for sure because every athlete every person who works for red bull just lets loose and they're like "Woo, we did this you know this four-month project we're we are letting loose and as event well we know that night after the event the morning after is like our hardest day you know, it's loadout time. It's like, hey, dummy, it, it's time to get, you know, the 56 trucks out of here. Not, You're also not forgetting a very key element to this. Never go to the after party on an empty stomach. Oh, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah, the list is long of what to do for sure. But yeah, eating food is probably pretty wise. Yeah, and you have to remember, none of them have to come in that next day. Oh, I know. <laughs> I've learned. I finally see the little trick of it. You know, you don't see anybody. You see, you know, those guys just pop in about 1030. Oh, it looks real good. Make sure you guys label that stuff. Okay. Uh, and that's the end of, end of that. You see them. Never go to the after party after Brett's been passing around the whiskey bottle. Yeah, exactly. Brett Taylor. Always, always eat a burger with Brett before <laughs> start drinking. Oh, burger boy, Brett. For sure. Uh, so there's another one for you. The uh, good old Portland Flug Tog of 2015, mm -hmm. which was full of all sorts of fun adventures from having to relocate an entire population of homeless people 
from underneath the bridge because that was going to be our boneyard uh, right down to uh, trying to move people's boats out of the way and the uh, Portland princess uh, ramming into people. But uh, there were all sorts of rampant stories coming out of that one. But most importantly was our lovely little escapades with the OSHA folks that entire week. Talk about that one from your perspective. Ah, Jimmy, this was one of the ones that, uh, so working for production companies, you know, I, I had my loyalty to, to, I was a hangman guy. I felt like I was, he had plenty of work for us and I never had to spread my wings probably for four years. And that was one of the first events where I was going to go do a flutog for a different company. And it, it was not really meshing super well. It wasn't going to work out. And I opted out of that event. And um, so I didn't go to the event. I came down. I remember it was a super hot weekend. And uh, I got to Portland and the bridges were full. And I took a hard right and went surfing with my son. So I missed that whole event. I wasn't there for any OSHA. I only heard, heard stories. Oh, I completely, I, for, I, I don't know why I spaced on that. I could have sworn you were there. My no, bad. I escaped, I escaped out. Uh, our first meeting, though, Jimmy, I was going through some videos, and um, we probably didn't know each other then, but it was the world's lowest indoor base jump with miles. It was the opening of, uh, of the um, International Day of Flight when we did all the flutogs in six different cities. Were you, were you, the, were you the announcer for that? Uh, here in Texas? No, it was in it was just outside Boston, I think, or Philadelphia. No, I, on the one where they did five at once you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, but the opening for that, we did the world's lowest indoor base jump in, inside a hotel room. No, that wasn't me. Uh, I, thought I, I thought I heard your voice. That was not me. I did not. My, uh, that was my first foray into the flug dog world was that year. I was the flight deck host here uh, for the one in a suburb of Dallas called Los yeah, Colinas. Yeah, yeah, I was there. I, that was um, another, like, moment where I got to step up from, you know, rookie worker to um, comp director, where I had a little bit of responsibility and, you know, a title. Woohoo, a title. I was like, oh, man. But, yeah, I, I did that one with uh, Ron Pankey and Britt and Bob, Bob Garrow and Hezekiah. So we, we were running the whole flight deck for that one. And that was an epic one, too, because uh, Gas Monkey Garage guys were there. Yeah, that? those guys actually shut down the entire program for an hour. Yeah. And they were actually yeah, they... proud of it. <laughs> well, the, 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 the craft before those guys went, remember, they flew like 20 feet straight up into the air and then flew straight back down onto the flight deck. Oh, yeah, Crashed that was the one where I thought that guy broke his back. Yeah, he flew super high and then flew right back down and smashed into the ground. And I was, uh, I was nursing a bad knee at the time and um, kind of crashed into me a little bit. I, like, I limped away and I was like, oh, Panky, you got to take care, take care of the next one. I'm like, oh, it's Gas Monkey Garage guys, damn it, whatever. But those guys, um, as the comp director, I was um, going over all the crafts and make sure, making sure they were safety. And I went to their garage. And uh, we filmed a little stuff with their show. And they're like, dude, what we're concerned about is the lake's not big enough. I'm like, the lake's not big enough. It's like a 1,000 feet, dude. 20 big. And they tell me that they're going to fly across the lake and are they going to pad the rocks? I was like, dude, we're not, we're not going to pad the rocks. You're not going to fly that far. 
you know, but, but I can't have this, that, and that. Like, oh, you're going to put your money where your mouth is? I was like, sure, you know, you're sponsored by Miller Lite, and so I'll bet you a case of, Red, I'll bet you a pallet of Red Bull to a pallet of beer. Like, I, I can't give you a pallet of beer, but I'll bet you 500 bucks. So I made him a $500 bet. Like, All right, you're not flying over 300 feet, Aaron. So we make this $500 bet, and like I said, the, the guy before him crashed and burned, so they were concerned with the headwinds or something. They're licking their fingers, and, oh, okay, the trajectory is not right. They, they went like 30 feet. I don't even think they went that far. They pretty much went straight down. He went straight down, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, boy, 500 bucks. So Did they, they have pay? After, dude, the after, after party was at his uh, restaurant that he opened up. And uh, so I see Richard Rawlings there, and he's like, oh, hey, Tim, $500 bet, you little dirtbag. Here it is. Chink, 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 chink. I was like, oh, dude, right on. Way to cough it up. And he's like, get this. If you, uh, you, um, Give that to you. Donate that money to any cause, and um, I'll give you ten thousand dollars. I'll match that donation. Like no way. So he ended up giving me five hundred bucks. I donate the five hundred to High Five Foundation, and he he that night or the next day donated ten thousand dollars to High Five, the foundation out of Tahoe for um, spinal cord injuries for skiers and snowboarders. Well, that's so that awesome. was actually that was super cool of Richard Rawlings. And we yeah, ended they, up on uh, we ended up on Gas Mon- Monkey Garage with this little little piece. So my mom and kid was all proud of me for a hot second. They had all these video elements for that one with those guys, and they were all over the place. And for those of you that don't know, part of the caveat of a flug talk is you're judged on your overall presentation of your idea of your craft you have to do a skit when you get up on the flight deck and then you obviously have to fly and those guys i guess they put all this effort into the skits they did on screen which don't amount to a hill of beans except for the people's choice award uh and when you have a tv show then yeah you're definitely going to be the most popular person out there but when they got up on the flight deck they didn't do a skit no they didn't they just (laughs) he just got up. up there and he just started yakking away and he tried to take the microphone from me and I had to keep pulling it out of his hand and he kept trying to fight me on it. So finally I just kept walking away from him and then he tried to grab my co-host microphone and I looked at her, I was like, don't give him the mic. He'll never stop talking. So we just kind of walked around him in circles while he just rambled and rambled and rambled. And then they went and shoved their thing off the deck and then half their crew wouldn't jump. And then we couldn't get him out of the water because half of their apparatus was down in the water and the divers were looking for it and he was actually proud of it and bragging about yeah we shut this whole thing down i was like proud of yourself are you (laughs) they did have a pretty cool craft that thing was like titanium or something it was an impressive epically welded third it was impressive watching that thing go 30 feet straight down and sink yeah everybody goes 30 feet you're 28 feet up <laughs> the best part was yeah. at the end when they were doing the awards and they didn't win anything other than people's choice and we were running out of daylight and tv production was like we're done we're done we're done and he was ready for this big interview and they're telling me like wrap it up wrap it up wrap it up do the winner's interview get out and he's like okay when are we doing ours i'm like we're done man we're taking the rf packs off he's like wait what what about the people's choice interview i'm like there is no interview see you at the after party buddy <laughs> oh so tough being famous he was he was not pleased. He yeah. was not happy with me that afternoon. I was like, man, I don't know what to tell you. 
I got somebody yeah, talking in my time, ear, so. telling me what to do. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what more you want from me, buddy. They want more TV time, Jimmy. Uh, I mean, you got your own TV show. How much more TV time do you need? I don't think you got your own show on network television. I don't think you need to be on a video screen in Las Colinas, Texas on a Saturday afternoon in September. I don't think that's going to bump your ratings, dude. Speaking of Texas, let's segue to this next story here. And I know that Angela is going to get all fired up about this one. So you talked about cliff diving earlier, how much you enjoy those events. So the cliff diving event here, when you have to work operations for that, that's another one of those jobs that separates the men from the boys. Yeah, it's Texas. Yeah, it's summertime. It's hotter than hell. But the area out where they do that, known as Possum Kingdom Lake, pretty much every lake in the state is man-made. So that used to be old farmland they just dammed up years ago with the Army Corps of Engineers. But it is hot. There's all sorts of crazy brush and trees that love to be super stabby and slice your skin. And on top of that, you got to deal with rattlesnakes. It is rattlesnake alley out there. However, the trade-off is you get to stay in these crazy multi-million dollar resort homes. Talk a little bit about that event. Uh, Possum Kingdom. I always tell people that I love Texas. And they're like, where did you go in Texas? Possum Kingdom Lake is such a cool venue. Um, like, like you said, you're staying in a pretty nice accommodation, you know, big, big house. And uh, yeah, yeah. Get, once again, it's a hangman event for me. And it, it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. You're at Hell's Gate. And you're, it's hard, whatever, you're huffing lots of lumber to, up the island and building, again, the 100-foot platform with the women's platform at 72 feet. And, um, yeah, we've had the wildest weather there. It's always, like, torrential downpouring, snakes basically falling off the cliffs everywhere you go. Um, but instead of golf carts cruising around, we're, we're using um, ponto- pontoon boats and jet skis. And that's pretty awesome to me, cruising around in jet jet skis and pontoon boats. So I've come to love the jet skis and like, I don't know, I'll I'll grab the jet ski. It's cool. It's cool. So I'm turned into the jet ski guy and we've had all this debris in the water where it needs to be like spread around. And somehow their comp directors are like, hey, Tim, you're you're pretty good on that thing. Could you spread the debris around? Like, of course I can. So I've got to like do these donuts in the landing and just hammer doing donuts spreading all the snakes and rocks and stick super cool you know i thought it was the coolest thing i was like hey i love this i'm sitting there like safety guy whatever chasing drones out of the sky being on a jet ski super cool right and then a couple couple we've done it i don't know two three maybe four years there so we've gotten pretty comfortable with the locals and people know our name we recognize them and uh, the last year we're there, we're, we're doing it, and uh, they're trying to set this record with, I don't know what it was, 20, 20 people jump off the cliff at the same time, and all these people are retired cliff, cliff, jump, cliff jumpers. People are just washed up. They showed up the day before, like, 10 White Claws into it or whatever they're drinking. Like, ah, oh, we're going to go check out the, the platform. Like, no, you're not. You can't go up there. And they're just like – Tried to barge the island. No, they got shut down. If you do it, 
you know, if you come here drunk, you, you can't jump off the cliff. No, we're, you're not. You're not doing this thing. Whatever. They kind of sober up the next day. They're on the top of the cliff at the show. Like, okay, we got these 20 old divers. They're all going to jump at once. World record. No way. They're, they're all going to go. Then they start warming up, Jimmy. Like, they're going to do flips. They're, they're 90 feet up off the water. Like, it's a pretty big jump, right? And these people are, I don't know how they I think they're 65. They're 70 years old. I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to jump. They're going to flip. Then I hear on the radio, all right, all right, you guys on the jet skis, make sure you watch everybody. We only have, you know, so many safety people. It's just like this thing wasn't going well. Nobody wanted it to happen. It happened. It didn't go super well. But anyways, the next day, so they all jump. They all land. We who, they did it, but it wasn't cool. It wasn't pretty. The next day in the morning, I hear, hey, Tim. You on your jet ski? Well, the Red Bull Air Force wants to see you. Like, oh, that's cool. So I go over to their boat. They're like, ah, Tim, we're here. You're a professional jet skier. I'm like, yeah, I'm getting paid. Yeah, I'm professional. Like, cool, cool. We also hear you want to you want us to land on the back of your jet ski. I'm like, yeah, I've been talking about it for like five years. You guys are into it? Like, hell yeah, Jeff Rose into it. So the plan hatches at like 8:30 in the morning. And he's going to land on the back of my jet ski, you know, he's, he's like, all right, I'm, I'm going to go up there and do my 720. I'll be swooping and you, you go, I don't know, 45 miles per hour. Let's, let's do a couple test drives. I'm like, all right. So he's on the back of my jet ski and I blasted away to do my speed run. And I hear on the radio that what the hell's going on? Stop that jet ski. And I'm like, Whoa, Hey, it's Tim. I'm doing my practice run. No practice runs. You guys got to do that. No, you can't cruise through all those boats that fast. I was like, okay, there's our practice run, Jeff, bro. That's all we got. So the plan hatches of, you know, catch, catch the parachute on the back of my jet ski. And I'm nervously excited, super stoked that this thing's finally coming to premonition. And uh, sure enough, Jeff Rowe pops out of the, the airplane, you know, they've got their smoke going, and I hear um, Miles on the on the microphone saying what's happening. All right, he's coming, he's coming, and I'm like, oh my god, this is really going down. I I'm on my jet ski, I see him, and I see him do a 720 swoop, and I just I start going. I'm like, oh my god, he came by so fast over my head. He swooped, and I was just like, wow! I grabbed a hold of the throttle. He he just swoops over my head. And I'm like, oh, my God, I missed him. Oh. I'm like, dang, that sucked. And then next thing I know, he's on the back of my jet ski. Like, whoa, and he's all, done it. Keep it going. Keep it going. He wanted to, like, have it fly out of the venue. But he landed on the back of my jet ski like it was no thing. I didn't even feel it. And I just hear the entire bay blow up. Everybody's air horns going off. I'm hearing – you guys on the microphone, oh, my God, it happened. What the heck happened? And, dude, elation. It was the coolest moment. Like, I couldn't believe it really happened. He popped on the jet ski. Blah, and it just it was that one of those moments where, like, wow, that, that, really, that really worked out. And uh, de- definitely one of the coolest moments at work that I've had. And, and the rest of the week, it was 
nobody talked about, you know, who did the 720 triple Lindy. It was, did you see that guy land on the back of the jet ski? And I was, you know, just cloud nine for, for a week or two on that one. It was pretty damn cool. Yeah, that was a pretty wild one. I was working with the uh, with the judges on that one, and I remember sitting on the top of that platform barge and looking over and seeing him coming down. And then I remember seeing you, and I'm like, "What in the hell is he doing?" And I was like, "Oh, he's actually going to try to land on the back of Timmy's jet ski." And then it just—I I couldn't believe that that worked. I mean, with how perfectly that worked out, and I mean, you heard it. I mean, the the roar of applause that came out of that cove with all those people on those boats was absolutely insane and it was just one of those moments where like the hair on your arms and the back of your neck stands up it was nuts yeah epic moment for sure i've tried to do it um i think three or four more tries now and i've yet to I've come close once but I, I haven't got them on the back of the jet ski and you know i'm disappointed and then i hear jeffro's side of it he's like tim nobody died dude this is a good day we're having fun i'm like oh you're right this is like us doing stunts for fun nobody got hurt and nothing to be ashamed of at all it, it was just that one time it just everything aligned and boom can't wait to try it again i think parks bonifay tried it uh, the next year with me and they didn't even come close you know and I, i've always come pretty damn close to them catching them so I, I feel like i've got a little match to it and it'd be nice to practice but no practice runs it's just Right, right in front of 10,000 people, do it now and don't ever do it again. So can't wait for next time is what I say. Yeah, it's just one of those magical moments where it all comes together the first go around. Yep, you got it. It was magical. Yeah, I think, you know what it was about it too? It just, it looked like effortless because you just kind of like, look like behind your shoulder and just like you were smiling and you were just cruising on I mean that's what it looked like like you were just cruising on the lake on your jet ski and this guy just kind of like floated right in I mean it was it it did not look rehearsed at all it looked super natural and super casual I think that's why I always like that watching that clip because it just it made you made it look super easy like that was just an easy stunt where I know it was far from that yeah, yeah, I felt like it was easy too, but then I couldn't ever reenact it. So I realized how special that moment was, and um, and then ended up going on the the Today Show. I think um, who, who's the anchor for that one? Uh, Carson Daly uh, said, "Oh, look what happened today at the cliff diving," and I got like fifty phone calls, like, "Tim, you got to turn on the Today Show. You're, you're on it with your jet ski stunt." And it just, you know, turned out to be a pretty cool act and like you said it was just super natural it just like happened we thought about it and i concentrated and boom it worked pretty awesome here's a little segue since you mentioned ten thousand people obviously this year has been uh, a bit funky uh and all of us have taken quite uh, a hit from what we normally do we haven't had a chance to i mean for all of us in the event industry i mean some of us started feeling the ripple effects from this as far back as january but uh, no matter what you did in this little realm of ours, uh, whether it was January or whether the hammer fell on you in April or May, we all have taken taken a bite of this giant shit sandwich thanks to COVID-19. What have you been doing this year uh, to keep yourself employed? And uh, what's what sort of things, are, have you learned any new skills during this whole time frame? Some of the ongoing jokes that we've had private conversation-wise with Angela and Jules, 
uh, just about the different things that we're doing to both pass the time as well as just things that you do when you have all this time at home and it's just weird. So what have you been doing with yourself all this time? Oh man. So, uh, my last event was the U S open in Vail last March. And, um, you know, the whole COVID talk was starting to happen and people were getting sick all around. It was like, no way, this is for real. Look at people are getting sick, but it was just normal sick. You know, people were partying all night and working super hard all day at elevation. But we, we, I was in my condo, like, hiding out going no this is real no way i'm not going to get sick i'm not going to get sick i left vale came home to washington and went back to my snowboarding super good conditions one saturday you know i I get a phone call like hey this is the last day they're shutting it down covid's happening everywhere and they shut the mountain down and which which was kind of rad for me because i spent the next two weeks poaching the desolate mountain there was nobody up there there was no more ski patrol throwing bombs. Snow was still falling. So I was on my sled and on my verts hiking around, getting epic conditions with nobody around. It was it was a blessing. It was I, I was loving it for a couple of weeks. And then reality started sinking in like, oh, there's not going to be any events. Look, at this is all going to get shut down. And I reached out to um, one of my friends, who owns an excavation company and uh, he put me right to work. And so I've been in, in a machine for the last, whatever it is, time's flying because I'm working Monday through Friday. It's wild. I, I get up at five in the morning. I fire this machine up at six o'clock and I've been loading trucks with hog fuel and sticks and debris till three thirty Monday through Friday. It's, it's a dose of reality of what a job is that I like it, but I, it's not the event world where I'm traveling to Miami, going to Chicago, going to LA, coming home for 10 days and getting my projects done, seeing my kids, seeing my chickens, then going off and working for two weeks, which, which has been normal for 10 years. But now Monday through Friday, I've been in a machine loading trucks, which is cool. Um, and being home, I've been, uh, I've been just trying to get my house done. I've been painting my house. I've been painting the trim. I just got done putting a new roof on the house. So I, I wouldn't say I learned how to do shingles, but I shingled my house. Um, and I've been cooking, you know, cooking at home. It's a wild thing where you're like, Oh, look at this. I'm cooking my own food again. I'm cooking breakfast. I'm packing a lunch. I'm cooking dinner. Like, this normalcy that I'm not used to is kind of what's been happening. I've been splitting wood, getting ready for winter and being a homeowner. Um, I'm in this relationship with my new girlfriend. That's super beautiful. That's I'm not explaining what I'm doing on the road and FaceTiming from a hotel, like explaining that I'm not getting wasted with all my friends, having a great time. And, and things are, I wouldn't say normal, but it's grounding. So I've been grounded over the last nine months and it feels really good. I've got a 13 year old son that I'm putting a normal schedule on. And so things are, things are good considering I've got a job paying my bills and I'm watching the crazy world around me 
I live in Monroe, Washington. That's a pretty small town. And I'm just minding my business, really, and not getting out there and getting caught in, up in politics or pretending that I'm some health critic saying a mask is going to save the world or a mask isn't going to save the world. So I'm just trying to, you know, be even keeled, get all my ducks lined up. And uh, I'm certainly looking forward to doing my next event. But um, I'm also cautious about flying somewhere where, you know, shit's going crazy. People are, people are sick and people are dying. So I'm just trying to mind my own business and be happy and healthy, which I am right now. I think you just summed it up perfectly and it's good to hear your voice and good to hear that you're doing well. Uh, Angela Jules, closing thoughts for Mr. Carlson here. I'm just glad you're doing well, Timmy. And it's been a long time since we've chatted and I have not ever seen the footage of you on this jet ski. So I'm looking forward to going to watch that. Oh, let me know what you think. Well, you're amazing. Go ahead. It's just one of those shining moments. I'll be stoked for you to watch it. Well, you're an amazing human, so uh, I'm sure it's going to be exciting to watch. Uh, I do appreciate those words, Jules. Yeah. Miss seeing you. Can't wait to to see you at the next event. Yeah, I, I hope it's in Pomona, of all places. You know, it's funny to want to go to Pomona, California, but I, I really do hope to see all three of you guys there. Well, if I get off of this catalog photo shoot, I'll be there. Yeah, Jimmy. Stop being a rock star. <laughs> I'm a I'm a PA on a catalog photo shoot. I seriously make country farm, farmhouse walls for a home goods catalog right now. Uh, when I'm not doing that, I drive a liquor delivery truck. Nice. That is that is my COVID world right now. And then in between that, I make miniature squirrel tables that screw into tree trunks, and I make bread and pies. Did you get my order for the squirrel picnic table? Because I think that's amazing. Uh, you really want one? Yes, I do. All right, I'll ship you one. I got a bunch sitting in the garage right now. Send me your address. You got it, buddy. I've got I a got great you squirrel. Awesome. I love hearing it. They like walnuts. And, Ange, you're going to have to get out of San Francisco because uh, that's not a place that I want to come visit anytime soon. <laughs> no, <laughs> seriously. No one should come visit other than Jules. But <laughs> no, it's uh, you know what? I don't like. I don't even know what's going on in my own city. I, I'm pretty much uh, hermit. Uh, kind of just stay in my own little little square and uh, avoid pretty much everything these days. Um, but and that's why, like, I'm so stoked on doing this stuff because it just. Uh, you know, like, it's funny, I've had a conversation with Jules and, and uh, the event stuff for me is, was pretty much like, you know, my whole everything. So everything that I did was tied into the event industry, yeah. um, all my socialization and, you know, my travel, like I got a, a lot out of it. And so, um, you know, hearing your voice and this, like rehashing some of these stories, some of the things that I forgot about is just like, it really like boosts my spirits. Um, it makes me happy um, for a little bit at least um, just cause I mean, I miss it so much. So, um, but it makes yeah. me happy that like, I hear you're doing good and everything like that. That's, that's number one, you know? So I hear it loud and clear. I was going to say, Timmy, I think the reason why you didn't get fired 
from Rhythm Event is because you are always so positive and making everybody laugh and you just have such a great attitude. And I think we all really appreciate that when we're having some hard times or late nights or whatever. So keep it up. Uh, I will. I'll do my best. I'm, I definitely love people and um, I got lots of love for my coworkers. Yeah. Makes me happy. We love you too. Awesome, you guys. Well, is this um, the end of our White Claw and the end of a conversation? It is. I got to go back to need and do. All right, my friends. Well, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk with you. Yeah, good to hear from you. Yeah. Um, stay healthy and stay happy, you guys. You too. Likewise. And right, uh, well, uh, expect, uh, updates on this new girlfriend. Yeah, I will. Okay. She'll make the gram soon. <laughs> All right, my All right. friends. Well, it's dinner time here.